When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello, welcome to Garibaldi Red. As VAR proves to be a bit rubbish, Morgan Gibbs White proves to be very good, and Nottingham Forest proves they still have issues to, to address. After a drama filled 2 2 draw with Brentford on Saturday, joining me to discuss that and look ahead to the final week of action before the World Cup is first of all BT Sport and BBC Radio 5 Live broadcaster Darren Fletcher. Fletcher, good morning, how are you? Morning, very good. Got the long run up ready for a few bits this morning. Good, as has Greg Mitchell, our second guest today. Greg, how are you doing? Yeah, good, good. Nice relaxing weekend as ever. Yes, yeah, <laughs> relaxing morning for you. Fresh out of the shower, I can see, for those who are watching, not listening. Looking as messy as me, but that's fine. Fletcher, <laughs> as dapper as ever. Right, we'll get started. Um, Greg... First of all, I mean, the first question I've written down, we'll come on to VAR and everything around that shortly, but I've written down two points dropped or a point gained. What are your emotions leaving the ground and having slept on it after that game? Two points dropped, and I know we're going to get onto it, but just not our fault. It was teed up for three points, and I walked out of that ground gutted, but I don't know how how bad I'd have felt if, if we hadn't got that point. I don't even think I could have done this, to be honest, but... Yeah, I spoke to some Brentford lads after the game and they were like, you must be so happy with that. That's great. So not at all. I don't think they were expecting the response. But yeah, gutted. But we go on and I think a lot of us said four points out of these two games. So see what happens next weekend, if it was a good point or not. I mean, I agree. Two points drops. Uh, VAR, Forest failings as well, a big factor. What about you, Fletch? I think the Brentford supporters probably said that to Greg because they were in exactly this situation last season and they know the value of any point at any stage when you're trying to stay in the Premier League. I don't think we should spend a great deal of time at this stage looking at the table necessarily. We should look at points accumulation because Forest have got to get to a certain number regardless of where we'd like to see them finish. And that certain number will get them a league position that keeps them in the Premier League. So to tick along and get a point like that, I think is significant. I think any point that you get in the Premier League is a difficult point to get. And I think, again, there were way more positives within the 90 minutes than negatives. And it was the sign of progression. I think Brentford are a a good side. I don't think they're a great Premier League team. And I think they've got a lot of weaknesses themselves. But I thought the way Forrest started the game, played on the front foot, passed it forward quickly. Gibbs White was a real factor. You could see combinations developing around the pitch in an, in an attacking sense. We wasted opportunities, which, which, which was a negative, because they are in the championship with the players you've got there, half chances. In the Premier League, they're good chances. And we've got to be more ruthless in terms of taking those chances. And I know Morgan Gibbs-White gets lots of praise for what he did in general play, scored a goal, had his best performance in the, in, in the side, but also found himself in position two or three times more where in the Premier League, 
you've got to take that chance and score a second goal. So I'm not really too wrapped up in the emotion of the day or whether it was dropped or gained. It's another performance for me where I saw more positives, more development, more progression among the group that, that's out there. And that, to me, is a positive. I also think as well, when you're looking to assess a manager and the way a managerial reign is going, I always tend to look at the effort of the players because I think that's the telltale sign. And the fact that in the 96th, 97th, whatever minute it was, they're still doing absolutely everything for the club, for the fans, for the manager to try and get something out of the game is a huge positive because that fighting spirit that they showed at the weekend is going to carry them a long way. Because I thought there was a spell, I and mean, we'll get to the VAR, but I thought VAR completely knocked the wind out of Forest. At that point, they were in the ascendancy. It was a matter of time when the second goal was going to come. I think they spent the next 40 minutes either side of half-time feeling a bit sorry for themselves. Another team may well have punished them a little bit more than, than Brentford actually did. But then they're able to dig deep enough and the substitutions maybe influenced that. And they were able to go again and get the point. So <clears throat> it's another point. If they can get three against Crystal Palace, it looks a whole lot better. But I think the significant thing is, look, this has been a very difficult period for Steve, for the players, for everybody associated with the club. They are now going to go into the World Cup break, you would suspect, not adrift. So they're going to come back after Christmas with a real fighting chance of staying in the Premier League. They'll be better. They might be restocked by the time the January window um, opens and that'll be players leaving and players coming, you would suspect. But I think they put themselves in a position to give themselves a fighting chance when we restart after Christmas. And that, to me, was always going to be the most important thing. I did say at the start of the season, 17th is enough. 17th is still enough. And we still have a chance of finishing 17th. We'll come on to the wider optimism towards the end, I suppose. I mean, Greg, Forrest went ahead through Gibbs White. Fletch mentioned him there. Is this the, a better formula for Gibbs White? Kind of as that he was almost a false nine, wasn't he? He was the central one of the three. And he found lots of good spaces. And maybe we'll come on saying he, he should have been, Forrest should have got the ball into him more in those spaces as well. But is this a good formula for Gibbs White with Johnson and A and other up there as well? <coughs> It's a good formula for Gibbs White and I feel it's an even better formula for Johnson. I feel like he he thrived on Gibbs White playing as well as he did, just like Jono did last year with Spence playing how he did. And I think Gibbs White playing like he did on Saturday improves everyone around him. He's sharp, he does quick passes, he runs past players like we saw with the goal, he saw the opportunity and took it. Uh, we haven't seen enough of it, obviously, because we haven't had enough of the ball so far, but... You know, Brentford gave us 50% possession, which we haven't been used to this so far this season. And it's players like Gib, Gibbs White and, well, not so much Johnson, but Gibbs White especially who are going to thrive on that. So Forrest go 1-0 up, looking good, cruising into the break, and then they concede. Um, I mean, just before we talk about VAR then, Fletch, how much are Forrest to blame for that goal? Because they shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. They give the ball away horribly and it's the third time in five minutes they've done that in that game isn't it let me just pick up on something greg said as well gibbs white is a false nine i think as a short-term solution is okay <clears throat> the big challenge for everybody down there is to go into january and find a central striker that they can trust that they can rely on <clears throat> this team's going to function a lot better when it has a central point a focal point that they can concentrate on this might be short-term, Morgan Gibbs-White is a false nine, but I don't think Forrest stay in the Premier League with a false nine. I think they've got to get that more consistent striker than they've got now to allow them to play a different way. 
That would be my opinion. In terms of the goal, look, we can all get carried away and get in and, and we're happy with picking up points and all that. Forest have to stop shooting themselves in the foot. The goals that Forest concede, most of them are directly down to Forest mistakes. The situation on Saturday, Remo Freuler would have been better off toe poking the ball into the into the into the dugout than turning around and playing it square blind, which which leads to the goal. I know that match of the day did the analysis of where <clears throat> the centre back should have been, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but that all happened really quickly. There's no way that a player that's played that many international matches should be playing that pass in those circumstances. And the players that are making mistakes have to stop making mistakes because this is two steps forward, a step back. You can't do it like that. You've got to look after the ball in the Premier League. For me, one of the most disappointing aspects of what I've seen of Forest this season is Troiler's display in midfield. I, I just don't, I don't think he gives enough. I don't think he passes the ball forward well enough. I don't think he's looking to break the lines. I don't think his first instinct is to bring... Morgan Gibbs-White, Brennan Johnson, people like that into the game. I think he's playing too safe. And then on Saturday, he takes a massive risk. He plays a ball that he doesn't know what the, the end result's going to be. And Forrest can see the goal. Um, and I know that everybody focused on VAR, but it should never have got to VAR. In the Premier League, you can't concede that goal. You can't make that mistake. You can't expose your back four and your goalkeeper like that when you're an experienced player. And one thing they've got to stop doing, and he's not the only one, if you look back at Forest goals this season, you could directly hold individuals accountable for errors. When Forest have been in possession, they turn the ball over and they can see goals. And that has to stop. There's not enough firepower in the team to give away soft goals, to have to come from behind or to see well-deserved and well-earned leads given away by individual errors. It's just unacceptable at that level. Mm. And Yeah, and I think a better team than Brentford would have punished them more. Although... Ironically, I thought Forest was it was the most control of the game they've had. Just these lapses that are killing them time and again, as you say. So Greg made the point that Brentford gave Forest fifty percent. I think Forest earned the fifty percent of the weekend. I think they I think they looked after the ball better and they were more confident in possession. Probably one of the most confident in possession periods that I've seen Forest have in a Premier League match. And that's not bad against the I know people say, Well, Ivan Tony didn't play, but Ivan Tony doesn't really help them keep possession. And Brentford are a pretty good possession team so it's another positive really but you just cannot legislate for a mistake like that and, and you can't be making mistakes like that so we made it 10 minutes without really getting into var so let's do it greg which were penalties if any for you well the first one that sets the standard of the way the referee is going to ref the game so you know if that's not a penalty none of them are penalties it's as simple as that but like has been said all weekend, if you give that as a penalty, all the others are certainly close, if not some of them were more of a penalty. So it's just crazy that the mistakes have been taken off the pitch and put into an office somewhere, whatever it's called, Stockley Park. And it's the same old characters that seem to be popping up and making these stupid errors. And they'll still be in the Premier League next week. Mariner will be refing a game next week and Mason will be doing his VAR somewhere else. It was shocking decisions. And if they are going to spend the time looking at VAR, Hendo touches the ball. You know, you look at the angles, he touches the ball. The guy doesn't fall over because of the contact. The guy falls over, taking a chance, brushes against him. It's just, it's not a penalty. It never is, never should be. 
without VAR, if we were in the championship, there wouldn't have even been an appeal. You could hear the crowd. You could hear the way the crowd reacted, almost laughed at the guy falling over. It's just crazy that if that's a penalty, then there's six or seven others in the Premier League this season, exactly the, uh, this weekend, exactly the same. The inconsistencies with VAR have got worse, in my opinion, than they were before it. Hmm. Go on then, Fletch. The, the micro issue of this game and the wider issue of VAR in general. I agree with, 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 with everything Greg said, first and foremost, with regards to how those incidents should have been officiated. I thought the one that certainly wasn't a penalty was, was Gibbs-White, second half, because I think he instigates contact with the defender, which you're never going to get that one. I thought the most contact of any decision was, was on Ryan Yates. I thought it was a clearer penalty when Dennis was kicked than the one that we're actually given. And and I, I think you've got to... There, there are various issues here. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Forrest had a shocker given against them at Wolves with VAR. And I think I'm right in saying that Lee Mason was the video assistant referee at Molyneux. Surprise, surprise. Lee Mason was the video assistant referee at the weekend of the game as well. <clears throat> now, this is a fella the Premier League have decided due to age or whatever, it's not fit for purpose to referee Premier League matches from the middle anymore. So he goes and sits in a VAR studio in Stockley Park and influences games from there. That to me is like saying to a fella, look, you're not quite a good enough driver to drive your HDGV anymore, but why do you go and be a driving instructor? Well, he can either drive or he can't. This fella can either officiate or he can't. If he's going to make bad decisions on a football pitch, he's going to make bad decisions in a VAR room. Now, if he can sit there and genuinely say, I think that that's a penalty, then he shouldn't go to work again this week because that is a disgrace. Not a bad decision, it's a disgrace. Because anything you look at, first and foremost, it has to be a clear and obvious error. And we all have to remember that. Andre Mariner has made a decision which is not clear and obvious based on how long they were looking at it. So it's not clear and obvious for a start. So it shouldn't reach the thre threshold of a VAR challenge. Hmm. So if you look at that, every part of the sequence is wrong. Now, you've then got a fellow in the middle who you've just said quite rightly, Andre Mariner is going to referee next week. And I get sick to death of people saying, oh, you can't blame the referee. The VAR. No, it's not, because he's gone to the screen. Mm -hmm. He's agreed with the, the fella. I nearly called him someone else then. He's agreed with the fella. Just told him to go and look at it. Now, if he's looking at that screen, based on everything else that he's allowed to go that day, and he still thinks that, he shouldn't be out there either. I mean, come on. Come on. Let's do this properly. And I think you've created a situation here where VAR gives a referee a get-out-of-jail-free card. So they think... I don't really need to referee the game anymore because I'm going to go and look at a screen if I miss it. So they're not as sharp as they used to be. Everything used to be on their shoulders. And you know what it's like in life. If everybody's dependent on you, you're a little bit sharper with everything. If you think I've got somebody who can bail me out, you're not 10, 15% off. And I think that's what the majority of referees have done. Not all of them. The better ones are still the better ones. But, but some of them think, oh, it's okay because I can go and look at it. But that creates a problem. Because then you either haven't given the decision or you have given a decision, and then you've got to look at all these thresholds. It's crazy, and it's happening too often. And it's happened too often to Forrest this season. 
And Dean Henderson was incensed. And I, I agree with him. Morgan Gibbs White suggested Forrest were cheated out of it. I don't think anybody's indicating anybody's a cheat, but I understand what he was implying by what he said. And it's, 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 it's absolutely atrocious that games are being decided like this. And I'd be saying the same thing if it was Liverpool against Manchester City and that penalty had been given. Because there's not enough contact. It's not affected the fella at all who's running in on goal. It's not a penalty. And between them, they've got to work this mess out. And come on, if you're, if you're telling referees that you're finished now, Mike Dean, Lee Mason, what is this? Jobs for the boys? Mm. Why get yourself up the AR studio? Keep earning a few quid? Come on. They're either fit for purpose or they're not. And I've got to say, having seen the decisions that Lee Mason is referring to pitch side monitors as a video assistant referee this season, that tells me that he's not fit for purpose to do that job. And it's costing teams points. It's going to cost people their livelihoods. And it has to be officiated better than it is. It was disgraceful. So just to fill people in, as Fletch said, Lee Mason was the VAR at Molyneux, who was also the VAR when Newcastle were on the end of a horrendous decision against Palace. Is it, I mean, we should point out probably Forrest benefited from VAR and questionable decisions in the playoff final that took went out. That's completely irrelevant. We should never be in a position here where VAR decisions balance themselves out over the year. Inconsistency balances itself out over a year. We always used to live by that adage, you get some, you don't. And over the course of the season, it levels itself up. We should be in a world now where everything is correct. And if it's not, we shouldn't be using it because it Ow. should only be there for perfection. So, and that's so what I was going to say. Huge inconsistencies within the way that this is all being used. And mm. I know some people benefit. Forest might benefit. Still baloney, still rubbish. Shouldn't be happening. Games should not be being decided like that. Let the fellow in the middle make the decision. As a football fan, I'd sooner accept what they say in the, in the pace of the game because I've seen Froiler make a mistake at the weekend. So I don't mind Mariner making a mistake because Froiler's made one. The players make them, let the refs make them. It's fine. But don't have a system where you shouldn't make a mistake and still make it. That's ridiculous. That's like stopping the play and saying to the Froiler, do you still want to play the ball behind you, square, where you can't see it, when he's seen it? And then he says, no, I won't play that ball now because I can see that Brentford player is going to get it. Great. Well, that's VAR. They can stop the game and have a look at it and work out what's happened. Yeah, they still do the wrong thing. Come on. That's what I was kind of angling at is we're still at a situation where we're dealing with human inconsistencies and human failings around who's a good ref, who's a crap ref. Lee Mason's clearly crap. Next time we might get a good one. Do you have to then, Greg, I was saying at the weekend, do you have to strip back VAR and technology literally just to goal line technology is someone offside? Stuff that is definitive yes or no around camera angles or do we have to just put up with this kind of occasional shambles with what VAR is? I think for starters, they have to remember and recognise and go back a few years to say what was a penalty before we had super slow-mo TV and every single angle and someone's shirt just being brushed. So, well, you got contact, letter of the law, that's the change the letter of the law. Is the letter did... of the law contact though, Greg? I, I, I can't find that. I don't think well, there is a letter that's of the law what they... any contact in the box is a penalty. Otherwise, you give a penalty every corner and every free kick because there's overzealous contact in a situation like that. You'd be giving 50 penalties a game. If, if they must think that, though. They must think that. 
the the problem is as well, and this came up on the big screen. They said the Ryan Yates challenge on the big screen. What's no foul? Uh, committed outside the area or something. So then you don't get the free kick. The same. Sorry, the same. It is a foul, but it was outside the area, so it's play on. The rule. The rules are such a mismatch. VAR's here to stay. Nobody's going to win a campaign to get rid of it. One thing I did secretly love at the weekend, and if someone gets in trouble for it, we should chip in and pay the fine. I absolutely loved the fact they showed the decision on the big screen. They're, and it, I mean, Fletch, you, you. Why shouldn't you? But they what, don't, though, do they? The What's crowd, when the crowd saw that, the reaction, yeah. I've never felt so much. Like, hang, it was brilliant, though. It, it needed to happen. Yeah. People are paying fortunes to be in there. Sure, but that's not allowed, is it? Bad luck. You paid yeah. a fortune. You paid a fortune <laughs> to be in there, and the idiots that organised this are saying, "Yeah, we can't show them that." Come on, are you taking the Mickey here? So, but the decision that basically decides the game to a large extent. The rules say you shouldn't show that to the people that have paid fortunes to be in there. I mean, come on, you're not even showing the people that really matter, the supporters, because the game's about them. Without them, there is no game. Let's not forget that. Nobody buys TV subscriptions and nobody buys tickets. There is no game. So they're the most important people here. And this is so idiotic that we even say, let's not show them what we've just changed. I mean, it's mad. I mean, it's like you sat in there, drank two bottles of whiskey each, and then said, right, let's write this VAR stuff up. I mean, it's bonkers. <laughs> None of it makes any sense. It's I had one yesterday. Chelsea Arsenal, Kukurea, handball. Clear handball, outside the box. Not a penalty. So no free kick. Carry on. Yeah, hey, it's crazy. That's crazy. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, Go on. I mean, I was going to say, as a fan, Greg, does VAR ruin the experience? Does it enhance the experience? 100%. It absolutely destroys the experience. I didn't see the potential offside for our first goal. So I thought straight away, Morgan Gibbs-White's got it nowhere near offside. What a goal, celebrated like a lunatic. My mate next to me, he barely celebrated because he had seen it. He thought, oh God, is Dennis or whoever, is he offside? So straight away, you're waiting for the VAR to come up. For our last goal, and this is when I realised how much I hate VAR, our last goal, like euphoria, I had my head in my hands because I thought the chance had been missed. The bloke next to me is grabbing me. I'm thinking, what's going on? Oh, we've scored. Brilliant. Yeah, great celebration. VAR comes up on the screen. I was 100% convinced. That's it. Goal disallowed. Started to walk out. I thought, I can't handle this anymore. It's got to the point where you think you can't go to this game, enjoy that euphoric moment just in case. So, I don't know how, but they, they've got to change it. They've got to make it quicker. They've got to make it more black and white. And I don't think the people in charge are capable of doing that in its current form. It's the same in Germany. It's the same everywhere else. They're having the same issues. So I don't know what the answer is, but we all know it's here to stay. What I would say to you, Greg, I cover the Champions League for BT Sport as well. And the way they administer VAR in the Champions League is way more efficient than the Premier League. Now, I can't sit here and give you a chapter and verse on what their method is compared to the Premier League. But for a start, it's very rare that you get a VAR check anyway. So whether the thresholds are higher, I don't know. Whether they look at different specifics, I don't know. But we get a little monitor on the screen for a Champions League match that has all the statistics on. And you get a band across the bottom when there's a VAR check. And those VAR checks last such a small period of time. 
but they don't intrude on the game. We've got to take a leaf out of what they do because it worked quite well in the Champions League. They seem to get all of them right. They don't seem to be stood by monitors for 20 minutes and they don't seem to be checking every minor detail of the match. Now, whether they're better referees because they're in the Champions League, I don't know. But it, 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 when you see it operate in the Champions League, it's at least acceptable. But you make a great point. There were four goals at Forest at the weekend and all four of them had VAR checked. But mm-hmm. nobody at any stage was able just to take it for what it was. Gibbs White to start with, the penalty. Their um, second goal was a VAR check for offside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other one. I mean, it's, it's mad. It's mad. I mean, it's just, they've changed the game. I, I watch the NFL a lot and I, and I work on the NFL. And the NFL have got a rule within their league office that they're quite happy to change the, 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 the rules of the game. But they change the rules of the game based on what the fan wants. So they have what they call a competition committee and they go and look at certain things at the end of every season and they decide what's worked well that year and what's worked not so well. And they will then change the rules and affect the way the game's played based on the consumer. So if a consumer's not particularly happy with something they've brought in, they'll take it out because they know the value of the paying public to their sport because if they haven't got them, it doesn't exist. Our lot seem to think that it's a little private club that we're fortunate to be allowed into. So they're going to do what the hell they like, when they like, and we're just going to put up with it. I mean, it's mad. It's the only sport in the world that would bring in technology that actually takes goals out of the game. Every mm. other sport in the world is working at how to get more goals or more points or more runs or whatever it is. Every sport is fixing itself so the entertainment value is higher. Football is taking magical moments out of the game and never replacing them. Great goals are being struck <coughs> somebody's toe sticking out the wrong way so all of this stuff doesn't count anymore so eventually you're going to make the game so sterile and you're going to lose so many big moments that people are going to start to say i'm not sure about that and i think football has an arrogance at the minute everybody will just keep watching forever there's a whole new generation of people who are going to become season ticket holders television subscribers whatever that is they're going to pay for the game moving forward if they don't like the product because of the way it's been officiated and because of the way it is now, it used to be a free-flowing, open, aggressive, entertaining spectacle. Now it's becoming what it is. Maybe that will have a knock-on effect on how many TV subscriptions get bought, how many newspapers get purchased, how many people buy a season ticket or a match day ticket in the ground. Maybe it will. Because this is, this is not the game that I fell in love with. It's still got so many wonderful aspects, but it's not, it's not what it used to be. And, and until they work this out, um, it, it's going to wind everybody up for a long time. And they've been doing it for long enough now that they should actually know how to do it. This is not like day mm-hmm. one, is it? This is, this is quite a way into this now. This is, this is thousands and thousands of games that have been officiated with the assistance of VAR. And still they don't know how to administer it, how to do it, different interpretations, different people see different things. I mean, it's crackers. It's as inconsistent, VAR, as any referee ever was. In fact, yeah. I think if you went back and looked at the at 10 games, 10 with VAR and 10 without, you'd probably say the 10 without were officiated more consistently than the 10 with, which is complete nonsense. Complete nonsense. Yeah, I mean, like you say, refs don't want to referee games now. They think, oh, VAR will look at oh. it and I'll just look on the monitor. They don't and have they- to, Matt. They don't have to. And you know what? People keep saying d- different things about this. 
if you did your job, right, and you wrote an article, and every time you wrote an article, there were 20 spelling mistakes, or your punctuation was all over the shop, or the story was rubbish, what would they do? They'd go and find somebody that could write it better than you. Hmm. We just accept that these are the, these are the people we've got, and that's that. Go and get better referees. Go and get people that can do it. They are out there. Go work with them. Educate them. I sat next to Gary Burkles on Saturday, and Gaz said, you know what? He said, particularly an incident like the Ryan Yates one. If you've got a player sat next to you in the VAR room, an ex-player, they would know, he or she, who's played at the top level, would know whether Yates is trying it on or whether he's not. Because they've been there before. Just give them a bit of a steer. Ah, I wouldn't bother with that. I wouldn't bother with that. Mm. That's, that's a typical old pro's trick. Referee doesn't know that. He's never kicked a ball in his life, has he? They don't go and work with people on a, a daily basis. There was all this flannel years ago about, oh, put the referees in with the teams and they go and spend the week with them and get to know them and see how they operate. Bullshit. Never happens. Happens rarely. But go and get people that can actually do the job. Don't say, well, Lee Mason's not fit for purpose to referee a Premier League match anymore, but he can go and sit in a VAR room. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. You're either good enough or you're not. And if you're not, the rest of us are held accountable and we'd lose our job. Mm. And it's meant to be... It's meant to be, you know, clear and obvious is always the phrase. I mean, clear and obvious. It, it's not clear and obvious. I thought that I missed some at the time. I thought it was a penalty for Henderson, but that was after me watching 15 replays from 15 angles to come up with a, a, a touch, having missed myself that Henderson did touch the ball, probably. So it's not right, it's not right the way it's working. Um, should we move on? Because we've been doing this for 15 minutes. Um, uh, Nick in the comments says, "Do like the video if you're watching." Nick does a better job than me of this because he's right. If you're watching on YouTube, do hit like and subscribe. Um, Brentford's second goal—it's a really good pass. I wonder if it's something they've spotted because Dean Henderson, Greg—he's very deep. Forest have been caught again with a really obvious ball in behind, space in behind, lack of pace. Hang on, hang on. it's an outrageously good ball. It is, yeah. It's but, an it's avoid- but it's an avoidable goal, isn't it? Outrageously good goal, by the way. No, I just, and I, I'm kind of stealing this off match of the day because I didn't notice until you watch their analysis that, yeah, Hendo's going to have to look at his where he was placed for that because it was it was a superb ball, like a really good ball, but it did make us look bad. Like Henderson needed to either be a lot closer to it or nearer his goal. I don't know, but. And then Cook and McKenna, there's quite a big gap, but that's the type of thing they're going to be working on this morning now, isn't it? You know, obvious analysis of that. There was a mistake there, but it was also a very good goal. They had two shots on target. Henderson didn't make a save the whole game. So you've got to have a quality pass and finish for to score a goal like that. So, yeah, it, it was. It was disappointing, but it was also a quality move. You disagree, Flash? You no, I don't. I don't disagree. But I think Greg highlights the point that I made earlier. Brentford had two shots on target. Mm. Finished 2-2. Two, two. How many attempts did Forrest have? Six, six on target. Yeah. Two, two. And how many mm. off target? This is the problem. You've got to six. be more clinical <laughs> when you're in that position. You know, 12 shots, two goals at home. Mm. You've got to be more clinical. They were clinical. They've got back on the coach and got a point because they were clinical. Forrest have got a point because they weren't. And I think, look, yeah, you can you, you can look at... I would look as, as much at Dean Henderson. I'd look at the position of the two centre-backs. I don't know why you'd want them side-by-side side when you're only marking one. Surely you want to be a little bit deeper and want to be marking, so you've got a, a bit of cover. 
But again, it's an avoidable goal. And we went right back to the start. The majority of goals that Forrest are conceding at the moment are avoidable goals. And that's that's not down to anybody other than the individual that's making the mistake on the day of the game. We've got to be a lot more switched on. It's a ruthless league. We said it earlier in the season. Whether it's the best league in the world, I don't know, but it's the most unforgiving league in the world. You make yes. one mistake, you're letting a goal in. doesn't matter who you are. Manchester City, Liverpool, doesn't matter. Or if they're making too many mistakes, it's, 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 it's leading to too many goals. It then puts too much pressure on the players at the front end to score three and four to win a match. It's better, but now they've got the next step now is to cut the individual mistakes out. And this is a this is a this is a progression, isn't it? Really, I, I just I thought there were two players at the weekend. I, I look at Emmanuel Dennis, and I, I don't I don't get it. And I looked at Remo Freuler, and I'm, I don't get it. They, they were the two for me that when you look at it, you're thinking hmm. the conundrum with Emmanuel Dennis, and I feel for Steve Cooper in this regard, is that when you watch it, he'll drift out the game for ten minutes, and then he'll get the ball. And he'll do something with it. I was talking to a Forest fan at a bonfire on Saturday night, and he was saying the same thing, Larry. And he gets it, and he just does something with a ball. Might be a touch. And you think, oh, he's warming up and make his goal in a minute. So you leave him on for another 10 minutes. And he suddenly realises he's not done anything for that 10 minutes either. And then he pops up again. You think, ah, that was... by the time you take him off, it's 80 minutes. He's hardly done anything. And you're thinking, he's pulled the wool over my eyes again. I don't, I don't see it, really. I, I don't see what he's bringing to the team. Um, he seems to be too much of a maverick in a team that can't handle mavericks. And I don't get it. Freuler, a lot of promise, played well for Atalanta in the Champions League. I was on here champion, championing him because I'd seen him play effectively. Plays at the back of the Forest midfield and very rarely makes anything happen. Wonderful ability with the ball, doesn't use it. Who say? So they're the two for me at the moment where you look at it and go, but you ally that with, I think Czech Kriate is, is way more influential than I expected him to be. Struggles to get through the 90 minutes, obviously, but when he's on the pitch, he's a real factor in the presence. Um, so, you know, there, there, are, there, are, there are promising aspects and, and more negative ones. I think Serge Aurier being a natural right-back, or you know, natural right-back or left-back is, is huge because he just plays the position safely at the moment, which Serge didn't always do at Tottenham. He'd give a few penalties away and drop the odd mistake in there, but he's been solid. Nico Williams, I think, still has to defend better. He's, he's, he's far too easy to get in behind. He's, he's more naturally attacking than, than Serge Aurier. So that's that's a work in progress. So look, there are positives and negatives all the way through. Biggest positive of the weekend, I think, was Morgan Gibbs-White. If he plays like that week after week, then he's really going to flourish as a player. And everybody I speak to in football tends to say, Poor, what a player he is. I was sat next to Scott Parker, did the game with us on Sunday. We did Chelsea-Arsenal. Natural before the game, and Scott was Scott was full of praise for the type of player and the ability that Morgan Gibbs White has. His reputation within the game is 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 rock solid. So all the good stuff is ahead of him, and he's going to get more confident, isn't he? Based on that, because this this needs to be his team. He wants it to be his team. He wants to be the man in that show, in that show. And performances like that will lead to him becoming the player that that Steve Cooper believes he can be. Mm. I mean, I must admit, Aurier's gone above and beyond what I expected him to do in terms of watching him at Spurs and he had Rick in him and he looked like he was a hothead. And uh, Forrest, he's been, you know, I don't want to tap fate. He's been exemplary, hasn't he? And yeah, you can't yeah. look at him thinking, when's it going to happen? Yeah. So, Jermaine Gina said to me the other week, we, we did the Liverpool match, and Jermaine said, what's happened to him? 
That's not Sergio Aurier. He said, mm. I've watched him so many times for Tottenham, and he, he's, he's a liability. He said, I've never seen him play like this. We should enjoy mm. it while it lasts. So, Greg, I was messaging my Wolves mates at the weekend who aren't at all worried about relegation, interestingly. They're just convinced this is Lopetegui is going to solve everything. Um, and I was saying, I'm not giving up on Forrest. I think a slightly different stretch. I think they're just a striker and a centre-half away from having the nucleus of a team that's going to compete, whether that's a one knee who steps up and finds consistency, whether Joe Worrell comes in. Because I'm starting to join the band of people who think Steve Cook's had enough of a chance, actually. And maybe you go to Warrell or you wait for Niakate or you sign someone. But I think the rest of the side, mix and match uh, in and around, maybe Freud for O'Brien and Yates plays as a six or whatever. That's a different debate. But how far away are Forrest from being a side? Just on that, I think playing Ryan Yates as a six is is a reach because the six has got to be really good with the ball. He's got to be a good passer and he's got to be sharp. He's got to be a very... A very observant footballer because he's got to see things. Ryan Yates's strength is to put him in the central midfield, go and be aggressive, put the opposition under pressure, get yourself in the box and try and nick a goal, be a factor defensively in our box. If they're going to play with a six in that regard, the six really has to be able to play. A complete all rounder. So I think it would I, I think it would be dangerous to do that. I think they've got to either work out whether Froil has got it in him to do that job. Work out whether Mangala could potentially do that job. But I think the Mangala question mark might be when Forrest are out of possession. But if you can go and find one that does a bit of everything as a six, and that just makes the whole thing flow better than it would do now. And you I don't, don't think O'Brien can? You don't think O'Brien can, or is that a waste of O'Brien's running? O'Brien's more of an eight, really, what? when you look at him. Because he covers ground and breaks lines and makes space for others. Yeah, runs into the box. Got a goal in him. Your six is going to be that sitter that takes the ball off the goalkeeper or the back four. And, he, and, and, and you know, has a thousand touches. But they've got that ability to break the lines as well. And when you've got a team that's playing the way Forrest is at the minute with three at the top end that can run, that, that six really needs to be servicing them as well. As well as being intelligent enough to keep it when you've got to. He's also got to be in a position to to break the lines and play the killer pass from that position too. It's a specialist position, really. You get a good six, it can make a massive difference to your team. So it's a kind of, it's a kind of role you, I mean, you're talking about rarefied air, but it's the kind of role you see Thiago play for Liverpool, isn't it? So mm. some, you want someone to be able to get hold of a midfield in, in that manner. That, that's, that's what they're looking for. And whether, yeah. you know, Freud is doing probably 75% of it, but the extra 25% is that ability to, to play forward with more accuracy and, and more ambition. And so far, we're not really seeing that, are we? And whether, whether, whether that's him, I don't know. Yeah, maybe it comes. Maybe it comes after January. I guess he's yeah. going to the World Cup, so maybe it'll affect him. I don't know. Um, what about you, Greg? How far away are Forrest from being really competitive? Well, they are competitive from winning yeah. games this league. We're, we're well in the mix. Going straight back to what the, we said at the very start about my Brentford mate, and Fletch was bang on when he said, when Billy, my Brentford mate, said about, you know, you must be happy with that point. They said last season it was all about getting the points when it matters. You lose 5-0 away, it doesn't matter as long as you pick something up. So we're not that far away. We're well in the mix. I think the worst thing we could do and going on our recruitment form, it may well happen, is sign six or seven players in January. We need two or three 
you know, if we're going to spend money, spend big money on two or three rather than flood the place again with six or seven more. Uh, there's the World Cup where there's some gems going to be coming in. We've got the the Brazilian guy, I forget his name, he's going to be joining yeah. us already. Yeah, and, yeah. and when you read about him, I mean, he, I think his team won the league, didn't they? He's a, sounds like a very good player. It's just, you know, South American leagues are completely different, but there's certainly been some amazing Premier League players from that league, so why can't he be one already? So get excited about that. I do feel all those teams in the bottom, the bottom six, seven teams, we will be the most ambitious in the transfer window. But the issue with that then, everyone who's selling us the players knows that. So it's going to be very hard. We're going to have to be very astute and really, really be careful with how we sign players, how we talk about it and, you know, going in to get them. I think as well, I'm fascinated by who leaves. Yeah. Because they won't just add. They've got to subtract mm. as well. Now, whether they look at some of the players that are actually in the starting lineup now and say, we're going to need to sacrifice them. Because the owner just can't keep putting his hand in his pocket and chucking pound notes across from Athens. I mean, it doesn't work that way. Sometimes you, you've got to be a little bit more self-sustainable. So it'll be interesting to see whether they take the decision to part company with a few to be able to bring those in that you're talking about. And I think the strategy you're talking about is a really sensible one. Has to be quality now. Has to be players coming into the group that are going to go into the first team and play and make an impact. There's enough depth around the place. But what they need now are players who are going to make a difference to that 11 and make that 11 better. Significant additions, which I don't think the owner will have a problem in making. And I don't think it'll be that much of an issue finding the ones out there. I also think that They've got a sporting director and a manager now who between them know what they need. Mm. In the summer, it was about depth, it was about numbers, and it was about taking a chance to a large extent because they didn't know. All the analysis, and I know that Steve and his coaching staff worked hours and hours and hours on analysing things and looking at the way other teams do it. They couldn't prepare any better. So they're going to know exactly what they think they need. And it's always a, an easier marketplace when you've got specific targets, players with specific strengths, that you know are going to make the team better. So I think, I think they went into the summer transfer window a little bit blind, really. But I think they go into this one in January knowing what it's going to take to make the team better. And I think you, you should... even it, it, a little bit of addition by subtraction might help. You know, one or two around the place who aren't going to feature or aren't good enough, who haven't really fitted in with the group, because there'll be some of those. It's an opportunity to get them out as well. But it's a bit more harmonious. I'm not saying it's, there's any disharmony in there, but, but not everybody gets on. And then you bring in players who can make a difference to your 11 and suddenly you're a different team. So I think it's, I think it's a fascinating opportunity. It's a strange season. And teams won't look the same, I don't think, after. This is almost like, I said this earlier the other day, this is almost like, this is the season. It's finished. Mm. You get relegated. You get another go. It's like, <laughs> as you get out of jail free card, you finish bottom. And you didn't get relegated. You didn't have another go. You didn't get relegation. Because next, in, in seven, eight weeks' time, it's almost a different season. It's because that's the kind of break you get between the end of one season and the beginning of the next. And teams look completely different, don't they? So it, it's fascinating what it's going to look like. So none of us know. 
Nobody knows whether Arsenal are going to come back and look as good as they look now. Nobody knows. <laughs> and he's put it by 20 points. But you, you just don't know. Nobody knows what Forest are going to look like, like you say, Greg, with two or three players that go into that 11 and make it better. Starting from a relatively level playing field with a lot of teams down there. I, I, it's, just, it's just such a bizarre set of circumstances with the World Cup that you, you'd be a brave person to try and predict what it's going to look like at the end of it all. We've just got to be so clever. You know, financially as well, I know because it's a first year and you get certain things like financial fair play isn't going to matter that much, but we have got to think about it if we're staying in the league or even worse if we're not. But they, they just announced that Man City, they had £613 million revenue last year, £40-odd million profit. And the players they sign, like, how do these books get balanced to still be... So we've just got to be so clever with it. And like you say, if it does mean maybe offloading a, you know, like, for example, say like if Lingard gets an opportunity elsewhere at Christmas, you just never know whether that's something where they go, that might be a good opportunity for everyone involved or... I'm not saying I want that to happen, but to get a quality starting eleven in, like you say, looking at our squad, there might be a couple there who could be used elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. And you're going to get Mia Kate back as well. Who exactly new signing? New signing, you know. So yeah. that's that's another one that, that that hasn't been involved. Omar Richards, nobody's seen him. Mm. There's another player that straight away you think, well, you know that that's interesting. If you sign three and get Mia Kate and Richards back again. It's a very significant January for you, isn't it? So there are players in there that, and, and, and as well, you know, kind of look at Oral Mangala. Oral's not really been fit since the hamstring. He needs a bit of time now to get himself sharp. Everybody's been impressed, I think, by what they've seen when he's got the ball. Seems to be quite popular with the fan base, but he needs a bit of time to get ready. So th there are players coming back as well, which is, which is hugely significant. Near Kate. You know, when I watched him play up against Mikel Antonio, you're thinking, well, I got a minute. That's a that's a difficult test. And I thought he was he was outstanding physically, speed wise, read it well. Looks like a potential to be a really good centre back in the Premier League. But of course, he's not been there since. So mm. that's a key. You know, you you've made the point centre back and, and striker. They've got a centre back that, that might make that that difference, Matt. So mm. we've got to factor that in as well. Oh yeah, and there's players like. Uh, the lesser spotted Barde and you know Willy Bolly and players. I mean, well, they're players that are going to play on. You'd hope they're going to play on Wednesday, aren't you? <laughs> the one opportunity they've got just to oh, see is it worth. Would you do that? Would you do that? Would you do that? Really? You'd play Warrell, right. wouldn't you? You play Warrell. Oh, I'm picking it. I'm picking it. I'd pick. I'd pick the team. You would. I, would see, I, I just think going into this break, we're, we're probably not really going to get many friendlies in the six weeks. Like. I think we've got to, and I'm never like this. I think we've got to sacrifice and just play some players, give them some pick minutes. You've got to pick your team. You, Get it ready. You've got to pick the team. But well, the thing is, Spurs aren't going to pick their team. No, they, they're dreading this game, aren't they? I'm not being funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've got injuries, haven't they? They don't want the game. Spurs don't exactly. want it. You get after Christmas and you start to build a bit of momentum and you're in the League Cup as well. Which has always been our cup competition. They're running the cup. Play a team tomorrow night. I think the fans expect the team to be played tomorrow night, Wednesday night. The fans expect it. I expect the team to be played. I don't want to go and see the legend. 
Go on then, I'm all in. We're going to win it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not about that. I just think that the team's progressing. So, do you really want yeah, to take yeah. a look at Loic Barde? Is he going to play at the weekend? No. Is he going to play after yeah. the World Cup? Probably not. I mean, he must be about, what, number six? I mean, he, he, how far is he behind Worrell, Nia Cattie, Cook, um, McKenna? I mean, there's four. Bolly. Yeah. I mean, mm. what, what are you going to learn by that? I mean, uh, Willie Bolly, I mean, you, you mentioned the lesser spotted bar there. I mean, Bolly had a game. He's not been seen really since. Kind of tells you, I think, subliminally what the manager thinks about that arrival. It's just yeah. not, it's not on anybody's radar. So why play him against Tottenham? They're absolutely no use to you. If you want to make a change, have a look at Joe Worrell for 90 minutes. Yeah. You yeah. might play him at the weekend. Mm. If you want to take Freuler out and play Oral Mangala there in that position, have a look at it, because you might do it at the weekend. You might be thinking about playing Tyro Awani at the weekend against Crystal Palace. But go and give him 75 minutes against Tottenham, so that when he walks out there on Saturday, he's ready. But don't blow the team up, because I think another good performance by them against Tottenham in the League Cup gives them confidence to take into Saturday against Spurs. And I think you start to get on a roll. It's I suppose with... A new situation, you... They're not in a position where they know all the answers. Yeah, play the team. I suppose we change change the goalie just because Man United coming up after the break, and obviously we can't play Hendo. Yeah, but he's so, off to the World Cup, and he's off to the World Cup. Hennessy, he's going to be he's yeah, going to be sharp. off to the World Cup. Play yeah, your goalkeeper. I mean, play your goalkeeper. Say to Dean Henderson, look, whatever whatever faults you've seen in Dean Henderson so far, whether it's his starting position or his kicking, stick him out there against Tottenham and say, right, come on, please play your way through it. I'd like to see O'Brien. I thought O'Brien did well when he came on at the weekend. He gets across the ground, give him an opportunity. And yeah. I'd probably play Lingard. You've got to, there's something in Lingard. Give him one yeah. more game. And then... you've got to, if you're going to make those changes, you're making changes when you change the team for, 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 for a number of reasons. The first one tends to be because you want to give people a rest. But there's no need to give anybody a rest because after Saturday, they've got a rest. The other reason is that you might be considering playing them at the weekend. If you're not, why would you do it? What's the point? After this weekend, you don't care whether they're tired or not. Steve Cooper's not bothered whether the Welsh lads go to the World Cup and they're shattered. He's bothered about when they come back whether they're shattered. Because mm. it'll affect his season. He's not going to rest anybody for the World Cup. He's got to get the best out of this group. I'd play the team. I'd play a strong team. I don't think he'll play his first eleven, but I think I, I think he's I think he'll play a strong team. And I think he should. Um, just lastly, because we've been doing this fifty minutes, uh, one more game in the Premier League. I think the, the notion was they need four points going in. They've got one. It must must wins a very big thing, isn't it? I fans are going to say it's a must win game. I don't. What? Well, a lot of fans are saying it, but I don't think it is a must win game. I think if you can get another point, you're not going to be adrift. A positive performance is enough. Uh, a point might be. I hope Forest win. I think they can win, but it's not must win, is it, Fletch? No, it's not. I tell you what, it is. It's must get thirty-eight points. That's what it is, one way or the other. And last time I looked, they can't get to that tally at the weekend. So no, it's not a must win. It's a must win in the eyes of people who are panicking. Then it's a must win. But if you look at this over the whole piece. How many league games they played now? 14. 14. Yeah. They played 36. 20-odd games to play when they come back. 
and they're there or thereabouts. Even if they lose at the weekend, they're not going to be a million miles away with a team that we've all agreed today should be better from January onwards. So there you should see improvement. Look, it'd be nice to win at the weekend. No better way at the weekend. Get yourself off the bottom, potentially. Go into the World Cup on the back of what would be a positive run, wouldn't it? Palace and Liverpool wins, draws against Brighton and Villa. All right, they lost to Arsenal, but there's been so many good aspects about what they've done recently. This is just about points accumulation. Keep picking the points up, and by the time they get to the back end of May, they need 38, 35 to 38, and they'll be in the Premier League. But they can't get them all at the weekend. And the more people talk about, is it a must-win game? just adds to the pressure. Adds mm. to the pressure. And, and it, it, of course, it's not a must-win game. It'll be a must-win game, when if they don't win at the weekend, they're going to get relegated. Or if they do win at the weekend, they're going to stay up. Not yet. It's too many games to play. And it, it's starting now, organically, to look better. There's more positives. The guy next to me on Saturday, God, blimey. I was sat there and every now and again he'd stand up and he'd just shout, Cooper, you're a prat. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? What are you doing? What good is that? And the people around him were kind of looking at him. As well. And I'm thinking, really? Just, just mm. stop it. Stop it. Everybody needs to rewind. Remember what everybody said in the summer. Back in the Premier League, first time in 23 years. Let's take it for what it is. We might have to go down to come back up again. This is going to take a little bit of building. This is going to take patience. And let's not talk about Crystal Palace on Saturday in a must-win game or not, because it's not. It, it's part of a part of a process. We're picking up points now. Things are looking better. We've just got to relax. Just lastly to you then, Greg. I mean, after the Leicester game, I did really fear for Forrest and thought this looks an absolute mess. But I feel much more optimistic after the last six or seven games now there's obviously as we discussed the last 53 minutes things they need to work on but are you feeling pretty okay it's probably last time you're on before the world cup are you feeling pretty okay about things or not yeah because we are in the mix and that you know i had this i what well, i can't remember what i said ninth place or something at the start of the season it's just the way i am optimism but I feel like we, if it's not a must win on Saturday, I think we do win. Palace are a very good team in form with, you know, they've got some players that are absolutely on fire again now. But our home support, after the Fulham and Bournemouth mistakes of everyone thinking, oh, it's just like being in the Championship, this is. I think it, it clicked again on Saturday and the Liverpool game helped. And I think our home support will help that much on Saturday it will feel like a must-win game at certain points because going into that international break, I'm sick of people talking about the blooming derby record like it's some kind of achievement once we reach it. Get that stupid thing out of the way. Get into the international break. God, we could be out the relegation zone by the time you go in there with goal difference going our way. So the win is huge. It isn't the end of the world if we don't win, but that'll be amazing if we have those six weeks thinking that was great and it might potentially help with signings and stuff going in players thinking this team are on the up rather than I'm going to be playing championship against Preston next season yeah do you know what it's it's interesting isn't it because we've gone from looking at the Forest performances and and Matt made the point around Leicester to a lot of Forest fans I spoke to around that time were kind of saying no matter how we play we're going to lose because the confidence had gone. And but you look at it now, you go into the Crystal Palace match at the weekend. My view would be, I would say, 
if Forest played to their potential now, they'll win on Saturday. Mm. And, and that would have been the same, I think, against Brentford at the weekend. If they would have completely hit the heights at the weekend, they would have won. We just mm. want a little phase of the game after the handball where it went awry. So you're looking at it now with the confidence of, yeah, I fancy them here because if they play to their potential and do what we know they can do, they'll win the game. So mm. that's got to be a, a step in the right direction, hasn't it? And there's nothing better. Get that last win, go into the World Cup break, come back refreshed, reinvigorated, and more significantly, more together because you've had the, essentially another pre-season. People have got to stay positive. Stay positive. Even Greg had gone, you see, he couldn't handle, <laughs> he couldn't handle it anymore. <laughs> he kicks me out after an hour. <laughs> he, 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 he remembered that he said he'd finished ninth, so he actually... <laughs> I had to say it because I keep getting reminded of it. <laughs> oh, dear. Right. Uh, 55 minutes in, we shall end it there. I should, uh, as usual, give anyone an opportunity for any other business. Just quickly, Greg, anything you want to add before we I go? Get, I get requests now. I Do like you? batting off requests, yeah. Uh, nice. Trevor Francis tracksuits. Give him a shout out. He, uh, I think he's got an FSF award nomination. So, and he's dead good on Twitter. Does like the Sabutio reenactments of the games gone by, especially when we doesn't seem to do it when we lose. But uh, yeah, he's he's good value. So have a look at him and what he writes and stuff. He's great. So that's Blanche, it. Anything you want to show? Anything <laughs> you want to promote before we go? Yep. If you're the fella who was sat on the left, <laughs> don't go again. <laughs> Very good. Very good. What's the telly? Robbie Savage is on on a Saturday afternoon on BT Sports Score. Watch him. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants that punishment. That's <laughs> mate. Right. We'll leave it there. Thanks everybody who's watched along. Uh, lots of comments, lots of feedback, much appreciated. As I said, if you uh, enjoyed it, like and subscribe. We're back bright and early on Thursday morning to look back on the Spurs game, me and Mikey and maybe Gary, and then back next week to review the Palace game, which is hopefully a win. So in the meantime, Greg, thank you very much. Cheers, enjoyed that. Cheers, Fletch. Fletch, thank you. Pleasure as always, mate. And we shall see everyone soon.